Blog Talk Radio. Uh, good morning and welcome to NJS Space Podcast Program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a, a program designed for you, uh, those in the education community and beyond, to uh, listen in on to some educational leaders and uh, talk about educational issues. Uh, I hope you want, if you want to be part of the conversation, uh, you can log into our chat room. Uh, you have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but there's no uh, cost or fee for that. Uh, and if you type in a question, I'll pass it on to our guests. Um, so uh, I'm very uh, interested in today's program because I, I think uh, in education, one of the uh, budgets are very tight, and one of the one that seems to strangle both the staff members and the school districts is healthcare costs. So with me tonight, uh, t- this morning is um, Chris Hagel, who is the business administrator for the North Warren School District in uh, North Warren Regional School District in, uh, in Warren County. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thank you, Ray. Uh, just for our people who may be in South Jersey or even probably some people in the, uh, northern New Jersey, uh, just tell us a little bit about the North Warren Regional District. Well, sure. Um, first of all, I want to thank you and the uh, New Jersey School Boards Association for asking me to participate in today's uh, podcast. It's a nice opportunity to showcase our district and some of the things we've done, um, not only on health care, but in some of the cost-cutting measures we've uh, been able to uh, undertake. Um, so uh, North Warren Regional is a, um, I would classify it as a rural 7 to 12 district. Uh, we, um, we have both a middle school and a high school within our district, which is, is, is one building. They are separated by a common hallway. So technically, they are two buildings, but there's one entrance to both buildings, and we are a we are a two two school one building district. Uh, we are probably one of the largest geographical districts in New Jersey. I think maybe second or third, uh, because we have four large rural townships uh, from Northern Warren County, including Blairstown, Freelinghuizen, Hardwick, and Knowlton. Um, our district is is so large and rural that it includes a, a national recreation area, the Delaware Water Gap. Uh, a state forest, I think it's called Worthington State Forest, and we have 15 miles of the Appalachian Trail. So uh, we're not talking about it today, but transportation is another uh, tough tough item for us, uh, given the uh, size of our district. Our district from one end to the other is, is anywhere from, 20, from a 25-minute to 30-minute drive. Um, fortunately for us, our building is, is right in the middle, um, so it's easy for everybody to come to us and to a central point. Um, All right, and for those, uh, I, I should say, it's a beautiful area too. Uh, if you it is. if you Absolutely. want to visit a beautiful yeah, area in New Jersey, it's very picturesque. Um, I, I have a so, stunning view of the Delaware Water Gap every day driving into work. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> so let's get on to the the topic. Uh, budgets are tight, and particularly up in your area, because I know you have been receiving some uh, cuts in state aid. Um, how did you go about? Why did you address? healthcare uh, as one area that you thought you could save some uh, money? So as you look at, um, as you look at um, school budgets, uh, really what, what, um, what you need to focus on are the big ticket items in terms of your budget. And for our district, and they are, they're, some of these items are going to be similar for all districts. Some will be specific to North Warren. But our big, four biggest areas of cost and our cost drivers are the salaries we pay our staff, our health care costs that we pay out on behalf of our employees, um, 
we also pay uh, tuition to out-of-district placements for usually but not always uh, special ed students. And lastly, and, and I mentioned it when I described our district a little bit, uh, we have um, high transportation costs in our area. Um, so in looking at ways to save money, instead of focusing on, you know, maybe the supply line item or, you know, the supplies for a particular sport, um, our board and the, the district leadership team here have been focusing on those four major areas. Um, and with healthcare, it's one of those items that you can really only address during negotiations because the benefits received by the employees is spelled out in their in their contract. So uh, when the uh, contract uh, came up for a, a review and uh, negotiations in 2018, um, after discussing with our board, our board attorney, and our insurance broker, uh, we all made the determination that it was probably a good time to have a serious discussion about healthcare benefits with our employees. And uh, I've seen you speak on this before. Uh, if you want to save money, uh, have some cost reductions, you need to have like four keys in addressing this issue. Uh, and the first is it needs to benefit both sides. Can you explain uh, what that is and how you went about doing that? Sure. So, you know, just to, before I get into all of each of them individually, I think it might help, Ray, if I kind of walk through each of those key reductions uh, specifically for um, the audience today. That way they can get a okay. full where 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 we're going to go as we kind of dig into each. Um, so the first key, as you're talking about um, uh, any change with any uh, employee group, um, whether it's healthcare or any other change, you have to build trust uh, and rapport. Um, and in this particular case, because it deals with um, healthcare, which is very important to employees, um, you often need to have that trust with your broker as well. So that's that's really the first area. Um, the second is we need to, and we're going to get into this, this is really the basis of your question, um, you know, how do both sides benefit? You know, you have to look at this, you know, the cost equation, both for the employer, the district, and the employee, um, the staff members, and see where are the common areas that affect both in the same direction. Oftentimes, with the contract negotiation, one side wins when the other side loses. And really the best way to approach a contract negotiation is to find those really uncommon areas where both sides can win. And, and we had to dig a little deep in terms of healthcare to find that, but we, we were able to do that at North Warren. And that's, that's um, you know, one of the things we're gonna talk about today. Um, we also wanted to make sure that whatever we, we discussed with our employees, first the negotiating team and then, then the employee base as a whole, uh, we wanted it something that, that, that would be easy to understand and be explainable. Healthcare is very complicated. Um, there are professionals that spend their entire careers on healthcare and still don't know all the ins and outs of it. It's uh, something that I'm nowhere near an expert on, um, and that's why I have an insurance broker that I rely upon. Um, but it's very important to um, be able to explain it to folks in, in easy terms that they can understand that relate specifically to them and their circumstance. And um, that's kind of where the trust comes in as well. So, you know, in order for you to be able to do that well, they need to be able to trust what you're saying is being, is being accurate and having your broker in that situation as well kind of creates a really uh, nice synergy. Um, the last thing that's important is any reduction that we, we uh, are able to provide for the staff needs to be meaningful. Just saving a couple bucks in their paycheck 
um, as it relates to contract negotiation isn't isn't what um, they're coming to the table for. They're coming to the table for real serious um, changes that are meaningful to them. So we tried to put together a solution that met all four. Um, in terms of the trust, and this is really one of the hardest things in, in terms of working with um, with with an employee group, and as I've talked to other business administrators, they, they struggle with this, especially as it relates to labor relations and contract negotiation. But I've found there's a couple of keys that I've that I've seen work here well for us. And the first is to know your staff. Um, this is it's helpful that we're a smaller district, um, and we're all in one one building together, so it's easy to get to know everybody. I understand for larger districts with multiple buildings, it's more difficult. Um, we also, um, myself and the rest of the district leadership team, make ourselves very approachable and available. Um, it's not uncommon for somebody to come into our office about any issue, not just healthcare, and um, have immediate access to us to answer a question. That way, uh, things get addressed quickly. And, that, and anytime that happens and there's a positive outcome, it just builds a little bit of trust. Um, and the, the last thing is really gen generating rapport and establishing rapport and goodwill with all the employees. And all these things are just done daily. You can't create trust overnight. It has to be done and built over a period of, you know, months and years. And, um, you know, it also goes down and negatively as well, unfortunately, quicker than building. So it's very important to build that trust with your, your employee group. So after you build the trust, and I, I completely agree with you, that's not something that happens overnight. Though I have seen it, people lose trust pretty much overnight. Um, so that's something that districts should be, an administration should be working on uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so you built that trust, uh, and then you kind of have to have something that's, I, I guess, uh, mutually beneficial, a win-win uh, as you go into this. Yeah, absolutely. So as it relates to healthcare, because that's the, the topic for today, um, what we what we looked at was how does the district's cost equation work, and how does the cost for an employee work, and are there any areas where the cost driver goes in the same direction for both? And so you know I'm going to get a little technical here for just a minute or so, but if you look at how much a district pays for healthcare, I know it's one number in the budget that board members typically see once a year when the budget's discussed, but it comes from um, a not so complicated formula, uh, which I wanna just review real quick so we can sort of piece, peel it apart and figure out where where the formula is, is counter to the interest of employees and where it's the same as employees. So our cost equation, and it's probably the same for every, every uh, school in the state, uh, we have a per, person premium that we pay. That gets multiplied by the number of employees that take health care. So it's important to point out as you're talking about health care, not everybody takes it. Um, they may be covered by another plan. Uh, the two areas where most of our employees get outside coverage is either from their spouse or if you have an um, employee who's uh, freshly a minted college graduate, they may still be on their parents' plan. Um, and either way, you don't pay for that uh, employee during that plan year, and that, that is a savings to the district. We offer an incentive for that, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, the, um, the cost of the district is our premium multiplied by the number of employees taking health care. And, and then from that gets subtracted the employee co-share, which also is a function of premium. Uh, so our employees pay a, pay a percentage of their health care premiums as a payroll deduction. To that, the 
school then also pays out our particular case we pay it out twice a year some schools pay it out annually uh, insurance waiver payments uh, to encourage people to waive the benefits with us and go with a uh, other option that's available to them whether it be their spouse or, or their parents as far as the employees are concerned their their biggest expense is now their co-share their premium co-share so where we um, are the beneficiaries of that co-share directly comes at the expense of our employees. Um, so we, we, you know, we want to look to see if we can figure out a way to minimize that for our employees while at the same time working on our cost equation to get that lower. And that's sort of where the win-win here comes. Um, and so as the employees look at that large portion, which is for coach, their co-pay, excuse me, their co-share premium that comes out of their check, they also pay periodic payments to uh, their healthcare providers as they use services. These are generally called co-pays, co-payments, co, 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 co co-insurance, or deductibles. And every plan is different. Um, every school probably has a different set of plans uh, that um, it's important for the employee to understand before they make decisions, but these are another cost driver for them. And the other thing that, that, that factors into our employee cost, and this is often not spoken about in, in New Jersey schools is a tax savings that comes that's associated with the flexible spending account. So when I started at the district in 2015, we had one person, our principal at the time, on flexible spending. Um, with some of the work we've done on healthcare, we now have over 40 people taking advantage of these tax savings. Just to put it in perspective, we have about 80 people on healthcare. So about half, half of them are taking advantage of flexible spending, whereas four years ago, none of them were. Um, so we've made some changes, some help there to, again, assist with their, the cost of health care that comes out of their pocket. So if you look at both equations, our premium cost multiplied by the number of employees and their employee co-share cost, which is a function of premium, as you reduce the premium for what you pay for health care, both sides win. Now, what that means is you're looking at the plan design and changes to the plan design, and that gets into explaining and, and, and just having trust with your employees. Um, but if you, look at, if you look to reduce premium and then use some of the district's savings from premium and maybe throw that in the salaries, there is a win-win that's workable here for healthcare that actually has a meaningful benefit to both groups. So uh, we'll – okay, you can follow. So I was the other say, thing what would be the change in the plan? Um, well, the, the, the plan change is around changing the co-shares – or excuse me, the co-pay. The co okay. So – we're at a we're in a state health benefits plan. I think about a third of the districts in the state are in that plan. Uh, and then there's um, everybody else in some sort of a private or self-insured plan. We're in a we're in a state health benefits plan, and there are roughly six options available to our employees. Direct ten is the most common statewide. It's also the most costly, and that moves all the way up to a direct twenty thirty five where the copay for a, a office visit is $20 compared to $10 in the direct 10 or $35 where you're seeing a specialist. Uh, the co-insurance and the deductibles are different for each plan. In general, as, you, as the co-pay numbers get higher, the deductible numbers get higher as well. I'm being very generalistic here. These plan designs are extraordinarily complicated. Um, and it's the job of the district to provide the broker uh, the availability to the employees to explain all these changes. Because as you look at the employee's cost equation, they're going to realize a savings in premium, 
and that's going to be offset to a certain extent by additional co-pays and 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 co and co-insurance, which will then again be offset by tax savings from the flexible spending. These are very complicated things that a professional, not myself, um, is best explaining to the employees. Um, and as you go further along in terms of the size of the co-pays, the premium drops. And the other thing that we did with our employees is we were able to give them per pay um, reductions in their, um, in their pay, pay deduction on a per pay basis that allowed them to say, all right, instead of paying 300, now I'm paying 200. That's $100 I'm saving every paycheck. Multiply that by 26 paychecks. That's $2,600. Are these co-pays that I'm now paying a little bit more, the differential, not the whole, just the differential going from 10 to 20, does that make up for it? And how about the tax savings? In some cases, the tax savings by adding the FSA actually pay for the co-pay changes. Um, uh, so I, I, did, that, did that answer your question? Yeah, so in, in essence, uh, your premiums went down because they were taking a different plan uh, that may have a higher copay, but they were not paying as much in their premium, the co-share. So, uh, and I guess, and then, and then in the FSA, I guess some of them could use that to pay for their copay. That's uh, exactly right. So, in our in our particular case, we we um, we partnered with a vendor uh, that offers a. Um, a credit card, actually more debit card option for our FSA. So we asked our employees, well, we didn't ask them, we encouraged them to consider an FSA that takes a pre-tax deduction out of their check, puts this money into a special account just for medical expenses. We then had our vendor issue them a debit card that exclusively used the money in that health savings account. It's called a flexible spending account. A health savings account is actually something different, but it's called a flexible spending account. Use that money from that FSA when they go to the doctors. So when they go to see their primary care physician because uh, their child has you know, a sore throat, they, instead of taking their own credit card or cash out of their wallet, they take their, their FSA card out of their wallet, scan that, and they have no payment at the doctors because that's also coming out of their check um, on a pre-tax basis. So in some cases, our employees saw their their co-shares out of their check go down, and they saw the amount of money they were paying actually physically out of pocket go down because they were able to transition from cash payment for medical visits to an FSA uh, payment using the, the debit card that our FSA vendor provided them. Now, it's still funded with their money out of their checks, but for purposes of budgeting and planning, it, it's, it's very seamless for them. So, uh, and they, I guess... Uh... In explaining this to them, that kind of takes – I guess the insurance broker had to take a lot. Of, so they each had to kind of individually look at their own situation and decide the, the copay, the plan that fit them best, that would save them some money themselves. Uh, was that done individually, I guess? Well, initially it was done as a group, um, first for our negotiating team. Uh, our contract negotiating team went with our broker three different times. Um, I and and once they got comfortable with it for their members and we were to the point where we were going to roll this out we then had our broker meet with the entire employee group 
And then, you know, at, at the employee's option, they could call our broker and, um, you know, have a verbal conversation over the phone, a consultation of sorts um, in terms of, um, you know, what the differences are. You know, myself or the broker would be, you know, not appropriate for us to make, rec make recommendations. What we can do is we can point out the differences, and oftentimes when you point out differences for folks, the thing to do sort of stands out. Because um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, everybody wants to go with what's going to cost the less, the least. And the, the only way for somebody to figure that out is to take a guess as to what they're going to use in terms of health care. And that's unknown at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, so I'll give an example. Uh, one of the big changes is with ER uh, uh, co-pays. And with an ER co-pay, you have to ask yourself, how often do I actually go to the ER? Um, when we were making this change, I asked myself that question. I said, you know what, we haven't been to the ER in 10 years. Now, it turned out within two months of making the change, we went to the ER twice, um, <laughs> but that happens, you know. Um, and, and the analogy I would use is, is to, you know, using car insurance or homeowner's insurance. You know, those are insurances that tend to have high deductibles because hopefully, you know, you don't have a lot of claims. You know, you hope that you don't get in accidents all the time, and you hope that you're house doesn't get hit by wind damage or, or a falling tree. It's nice to know that it's there, but in the event it is there, you know, you need to use it. You generally pay a high deductible to keep your premium lower. And it's the same thing with healthcare. You know, office visits are routine, and then there's a low copay for those. Visit, visiting the hospital should be less routine. Um, and you need to know, you know, kind of what your past history is. Um, and a prior employer, when I did this, when I was in municipal government before North Warren, you know, we had employees who were using the, uh, the, the ER at the hospital almost like a primary care physician. We went through a similar change in, in plan designs to change that behavior away from a very costly thing to the employer to a, a more cost-effective way of providing good health care. It's also not good to go to the ER because you get a different doctor every time. It's really important, I think, with health care to have a relationship with a doctor who is annually providing a physical, who is caring about your needs. I mean, my doctor calls me to remind me to get my flu shot, which I appreciate because I often forget. Um, and it's time to go now, now that it's September. Um, so, you know, it's all about education. And, and for the finance stuff, we gave the business office gave our employees as much information as we could. Uh, for the questions about the plan design, we, we really relied on our broker to provide that information to our employees. So it was uh, the employee actually, I guess, then is taking a little bit of control over their uh, medical plan, uh, medical coverage, uh, as to what plan that they feel fits them, how much they can save. Uh, so they're actually, I guess, part of it's they're part of this. They they are, and they always should have been. You know, I mean, I think the old model maybe 10 years ago when there was no employee co-shares, everybody took direct 10 because it was the best plan when they weren't paying. And that made a lot of sense back then because there was no employee co-share. Um, the employee cost equation was co-pays minus FSA savings. And there was no co-share. So you would take the plan with the, less co the least co-pays. There'd be no reason to, 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 to select anything other than 10. But the dynamics have changed now. Um, employee co-shares for most districts are, are a part of the norm. Um, and, and with our budget uh, crisis, with our loss of state aid, they're going to have to continue to be that way. Um, so um, it's important for the employees to really look at 
what their options are and make the best choice that's that's best for them. And it's a couple things. How much do I spend at the at the at, at, with my medical providers? And it's also how comfortable am I with something potentially going wrong? My ability to to make a payment on that in the event you know I have to go to the ER. Um, and some people aren't comfortable making that you know large um, that large payment to the ER. But at the same time. I remind them that you're still making that payment every two weeks out of your paycheck. You just might don't see it um, because it's a deduction, but it's still there. And, you know, for the first time in a long time after this contract was negotiated, our employees saw real changes to their paychecks. They went up remarkably because uh, oftentimes what was happening is their changes in their um, wages were being offset by the changes in their employee co-share to, to health care. Um, and that was something that, they had real trouble with, and I, can, I don't blame them. I, would, I have trouble with that, too. Um, that's why this was really remarkable, getting something that actually provided a real reduction to health care costs for them that allowed their, their net pays to go up considerably. So there's one way of dealing with Chapter 78 where some staff member teachers have uh, said they're losing. Even though they're getting an increase in their salary, they're not taking home as much. This is one way of dealing with it from the teacher's perspective. I, I, I believe it's the best way because the way that's been, you know, most often discussed is we need a reduction in the percentage that employees pay. The problem with that solution is that that then puts a burden back on the district to pay more for health care. It's like a win-lose. Here, what we're suggesting is a reduction in a change in plan design that reduces premium that is shared not necessarily equally but by both groups. Um, it allows the employees to get, you know, real net pay increases, and it allows the district to realize some some healthcare savings. And it's important to point out too during the same negotiation that we offered our employees an above um, an, a rate of pay, an increase above the rate of the normal rate or just the average state rate raise, which is about three percent. Our rate during that contract renegotiation was four percent per year. Uh, so we offered them an additional one percent. Um, as another offset off of the premium savings the district was was receiving. So, uh, and that was another way, you know, we made it into a uh, a win-win. Um, and so, um, how many of the, did a uh, majority of the staff take a different plan? You know, for, say most um, of them probably had direct 15 before this. How many actually moved? In? Most of them had direct 10 before this, Ray. Um, I think we only had one staff member who was in 2030, which was the plan we changed to our new base plan. Um, so, uh, if I remember correctly, that staff member didn't change. All others changed off of their plan, with the exception of one, because we allowed them to stick with direct 10 if they thought that was the best plan, provided they uh, paid the additional. Uh, premium above the 2030 base plan. So one staff member who had special circumstances, you know, after talking with that staff member, like, yeah, this, this, I can see why you're doing this. Didn't make a, the recommendation for them. It's up to them, but you know, I can see why they're doing it. Um, and um, but every other staff member changed plans. Then, then an interesting thing happened. Um, the state then began offering, as of January 2019, direct zero. And direct zero, the premium for direct zero was, was slightly below the premium for direct 2030, which was our new base plan. And we had a number of staff members move from that 2030 uh, plan to direct zero, which has zero copay. 
And the reason why it's offered at a, at a, at a much lower premium is because the out-of-network um, reimbursements are done at a different and using a different formula than the Direct 10 and Direct 15 reimbursements are. So Direct Zero is a good plan for somebody who is going to always be in network. So when we went through that open enrollment with our employees, again, it's about trust and education. We, we said to them, if you want to go with Direct Zero to save on the co-pays, we understand why you would want to do that, but, but call your providers, make sure they're in network, and, more, most, and, and just as importantly, make sure they plan to stay in network. You know, just because a, a doctor is in network today, it doesn't mean they may be renegotiating with Blue Cross six, six months from now. You don't know what their business situation is. So we, we asked them to call their providers before switching. That way there wouldn't be any, you know, unknowns later on that would cause them huge out-of-pocket expenses. And I would say we had about 25 staff members switch to direct zero. Um, I think we might have, you know, on a percentage basis, certainly the largest population of people in direct zero in the state. And I think that's a direct result of the fact that we had already gotten staff members um, moved off those, those more expensive plans. So, um, so that's another, so, another way that they, they make the decisions for themselves. So, uh, and I think that's one of the keys is uh, you've actually empowered the staff members to make the decisions for themselves. Uh, you know, going back 15 years, there was no thinking on what healthcare. I'll take the direct 10 uh, because they are not part of the co-share. So it's a different way of uh, your teachers looking at it, and and I guess your union too of trying to save their members uh, some money. That's right. That's right. It was a you know if you look at nego negotiations, it's not often that you get a win-win. Usually, you know, when you're given a raise, taxpayers are paying for it. When something's given by the district, usually the teachers have extra work to do. You know, there's, there's always this, you know, it's a zero-sum game often, oftentimes. This is one of those unique situations where it actually is not a zero-sum game, um, and that's because we both share in the cost of the premium, so reducing the premiums down makes sense for both. And also with the flexible spending um, tax savings, the, per the loser there is the federal government and the state government and uh, Medicare and, and Social Security. Those are the groups that, that collect those taxes. Um, and actually, as a, as, a, as a border community with Pennsylvania, our Pennsylvania uh, employees also saw a reduction in their, um, in their state local income tax because of this. So there's a lot of benefits that, that you don't, um, you know, that don't, don't become apparent until you start kind of peeling away the onion and looking into it deeply. And so, well, uh, just um, you know, we're wrapping up. What's some advice you would give to uh, other districts? Because I, I would think the healthcare costs are figured out pretty much the same in every school district. So the advice I would give is, is you know, first thing to do is to look at at the um, type of plan you have, and to see whether making any changes to plan design will have a meaningful change to your premiums, meaningful negative change. You want it to go down, obviously. Um, if the answer is yes to that, then it's probably a good time to engage your broker and say, how can we use this next negotiation cycle to um, negotiate in some plan design changes that will reduce premiums for both our employers, for us, as well as the employee? Um, as you start talking about the contract, it's obviously a good idea to get your labor counsel involved, making sure that they feel that it's appropriate and the way the contract language is written, that it actually is something that can happen. 
in our case, it was it was uh, pretty set up for us to be able to do it pretty seamlessly. Um, and then, then the last thing is to have a serious discussion with, um, and it depends on who's asking the question, whether it's the BA or a board member or the superintendent. I know that's the, you know, probably the audience for these types of calls. You know, making sure the other people that are part of your core group are, are, are on board with it. And that would include your board, obviously, you know, at least the majority of the members, if not everybody, at least those that are, are, aren't conflicted out of negotiations. Um, make sure the superintendent feels like this is something that's um, worth discussing. Um, it does cause a little bit of, I wouldn't say, um, it's not, there's no negativity around it, but it's a change. And, and the change will sometimes have, you know, it, it kind of, you know, spills over into the work environment. It's just, it's natural. Um, and then also you obviously want to have the, one of the most important persons in, in terms of involvement and, and uh, their understanding of this is the business administrator. You want to make sure they, they understand it and they're, they're good to go with, with making these changes and they can clarify and, and quantify the changes and, and how much it will save both groups because you need to be able to report it out to um, your employees uh, and you, so the, the BA needs to be able to you know, figure out those calculations and get that information out to everybody in a, in a pretty easy way. Um, I had one last uh, thing that I, I forgot to ask you. How much did the district save? So um, I'm going to give a total savings. I think it's important to remember that this was a shared savings between both the district and our employees. So I guess the best way to answer that question, Ray, is to look at two data points. So we made the switch to from Direct 10 to Direct 2030 as our base plan in September of 2019, so basically a year ago now. Uh, so if you look at our last health care bill before the change, that was on August of 2018, and I'm kind of round here because it makes the math easier. Uh, our, our bill was $250,000. Now that's an annual bill. That's a, excuse me, that's a monthly bill. We pay it. We pay it 12 times a year, so it annualizes out to $3 million. That doesn't include dental. That doesn't include vision. We're just talking about healthcare. It also, but it does include um, prescription drug. Mm -hmm. The same same bill from the same vendor, which is the state benefits plan. Uh, September of 2019. So obviously some things changed. Maybe people dropped off, people added, people got married. So it's not, you know, it's not fully apples to apples, but it's it's close enough. Um, our September bill is $185,000. So the, the the reduction in a month is $65,000. If you annualize our now our current healthcare spending, it's this is for both employees and districts. Because remember, they they share in the cost. Is now 2.25 million. So the shared annual savings is 750 thousand dollars. It is roughly 25 percent. And interestingly, um, you know, most people don't feel like they gave up a lot in terms of their benefits. The most important thing to employees, as you talk about their benefits, isn't the copays. It's their it's their providers. They want to make sure they have the doctor they want. They want to make sure they can go to the hospital they want. They want to make sure they can go to the chiropractor that they like. Um, and because we didn't change our provider at all, we started with Blue Cross. We're still with Blue Cross. Fortunately, health, health, state health benefits is continuing with Blue Cross. It sounds like they're dropping Aetna. Um, that was something that was decided at their meeting last week. Um, there were no real changes to our employees in terms of who they could go see. Um, the only people that had to really be concerned with that to a certain extent were those that went with direct zero during our most recent open enrollment 
And the best way to deal with that is to call all your providers and say, hey, are you going to be in Blue Cross for the next year? And if the answer is yes, then you can go with Direct Zero and not have to worry about, uh, you know, those out-of-network charges. So we, I mean, $750,000, you know, we talked about one of the criteria being it needs to be significant. That's significant. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of our employers saw uh, ranges. Some employers saw – I'll give you an example. We had, I had one employer, one employee who saw enough money saved that it, that it rational, he rationalized him getting a new car. He, his, 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 his out-of-pocket from the co-share went down enough to justify a new car payment without any change to his budget. That's significant. Wow. That's significant. Okay. That brings us to the end of this program, uh, Chris. Uh, we'll end it on that positive note that someone bought a car and the district saved money. Um, uh, Chris, I would like to thank you for joining me on this program. You're welcome, Ray. Thank you very much for asking. I uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, and that brings us to the end of this program. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can listen to it at any time. Thank you, and have a good day. Thank you.